podcast about NBC's The Good Place. My name is Brianna, and with me on the line, she wasn't into that into Kevin Peltonic anyway. It's my sister, Marissa. Thanks, Janet. Thank you so much for that information. <laughs> uh, so this is a special uh, hiatus episode, our first episode of the hiatus period. Uh, so before we get to the main event, uh, here are all the places you can find us. We're on cast at, what's that URL, Marissa? Oh, good play.cast.rocks and we're also on itunes rate and review us please we have a great review from someone that we uh we shouted out last week so it was ian <laughs> it's always was ian. It? shouts to ian <laughs> thank you so much uh be like ian give us more uh great reviews um you can find us on twitter at the good play pod and uh on facebook at the good play so uh, we're doing something a little different for this episode and for the next few weeks for as long as the season two hiatus. You'll remember our last uh, slightly belated episode um, <laughs> reviewed the first episode or the last episode before the season two mid-season break. Uh, so during the hiatus, we said we're going to go back and talk about uh, episodes from season one. Uh, so what better place to start than the pilot yeah we are going to go in order like normal people yeah (laughs) and uh we're gonna talk about this episode you know with the knowledge that we know everything that comes after the twist because obviously we do um if if i had a little men in black uh mind wipey device flashy thing yeah i could use it on you but we don't yeah um i don't really know how that would work over an audio medium (laughs) fair point we'd figure it out we'd figure it out um but since we don't have one of those yeah we we are operating with the knowledge that uh we're actually in the bad place but uh nobody knew that uh at the beginning of season one don't lie and uh, say that you knew it i said nobody knew it no no no. i'm talking to the listeners i'm talking to the listeners don't lie and say (laughs) that you knew it you didn't know no i don't i don't know anybody who knew I've been like I've been talking to a couple of my coworkers who are watching the first season now on Netflix and You're uh, like sitting on your hands like I am <laughs> I'm like my my one coworker we were actually talking about uh we were just talking about religion one day and uh, you <laughs> As know, you do at work. And, sure. It's not an HR violation or anything. And uh and you know, she was sort of talking about morality and all these different religions and what they teach you and I said you should watch The Good Place and she said oh I just started that I really like it I was like you let me know when you get to the end of the first season because the correct yeah. response was hey I have a podcast about that oh I sent it to another one of my coworkers. So there you go I'm 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 buzz marketing us at my normal go. job <laughs> <laughs> um so how do you want to uh, approach this given that you know, it's on Netflix for everybody. and Yeah, I don't think we have to give the same in-depth uh, recap that we would normally give, but okay. let's just let's just give like a high-level overview. It's kind of amazing. I went back and rewatched it today for at least the fourth time uh, Me too. Since, since it came out. But um, it was pretty amazing to me how much like plot 
and like set up they managed to uh jam into the episode i mean it was all it was the normal length it was 23 minutes or whatever but it felt like it, there was so much room in it yeah i don't yeah. know how they managed that they seem to manage just cramming everything like so much into a regular episode length uh you know even in this season we've talked about episodes where you're just like how did they do that how did they do all that um yeah i mean i i actually went back and watched it this morning as well and uh it was i had sort of yeah i had sort of forgotten how much of the of the world it sets up and how much of the like initial conceit and then also how many and all the main characters all the main characters are in there. And the other things is like how many things that are setting up for later in the season that you don't know that ahead of time, right? Like I was going back and I did a little recap just in case we wanted one. And there were all these things that I was like, oh, that comes back later. This comes back later. That's referenced later. All these different things that you could tell now in hindsight that they were really building this entire world. Let's uh, let me just run through a short recap just so that we can get a context for what we're going to be talking about. We have sort of the the opening that we have now seen multiple times <laughs> because of the rebooting. Yeah. Where Eleanor wakes up to see um a big sign that says everything is fine. She's greeted by Michael, tells her she's dead in the afterlife. Um so he mentions Doug Forsett, the stoner kid from Calgary who guessed you know, what was it? What was it? 95? 92%. 92%. And he says all other religions got about 5%, which seems suspect to me in <laughs> retrospect. And he tells her that there's a good place and a bad place and that she's in the good place. And uh, he shows her around the neighborhood. And uh, there's a little orientation video where Michael explains the point system and says only the highest point getters get into the good place and kind of says kind of sweeps the bad place under the rug. Michael shows Eleanor her house uh which is that weird little Scandinavian wait a minute no that weird little Icelandic primitive cottage and everyone else is sort of in a mansion. He introduces uh her to Chidi who shows up sort of just at the end of his little uh walk and talk with Eleanor. He's adorable um, in this Oh episode. my goodness, he's so I cute. could not. He's smiling that big. You know how Julia Roberts has that huge smile? Yeah. He's kind of got the same thing, and except like one of his teeth is kind of like, like his canines are kind of popping out. It's yeah. so adorable. I just can't even, it's so adorable. I mean, and it's especially, not to like get too deep into it now, but like especially <laughs> because like we know so much of what happens to them later on, and especially in season two, like just that, incredibly innocent first meeting of like you're my soulmate and she's like hey man bring it in like it's very it is the happiest and least burdened that we ever see <laughs> yeah, that's true because immediately after this he's like oh no <laughs> i mean he thought that he had finally achieved his life's purpose by being in like the center of morality in the known universe and not so much yeah <laughs> not so well, much well, well, well. <laughs> So Eleanor confesses to him, and uh, we start to see a little bit of who Eleanor really is, because up to this point, there's been no hint that she is actually masquerading, or allegedly masquerading, but in reality, being given a fake identity by Michael, essentially. 
Yeah. This is the first glimpse we get of what she actually is, which is a very problematic person. Um, She's a hot mess in real life. (laughs) She really is. They go and get some Froyo, and Chidi says maybe it's a test, and let's ask Janet what the bad place is really like. And she plays them like a short audio clip of screaming. And they're like, not so much. (laughs) Um, Chidi is saying how, you know, he doesn't really want to lie. Then Michael shows up with Tahani and Jianyu, a.k.a. Jason. And uh, Tahani invites Chidi and Eleanor over to her house for a welcome party for the whole neighborhood. And Jianyu is established as a Buddhist monk who does not violate a code of silence. And I have to say, I remember the first time I watched this episode, not thinking that this guy was going to be an imposter. I don't know about you, but it did not occur to me that he was going to turn out to actually be a dirtbag from Florida. We watched the first episode together, mm-hmm. and at the end of it, I remember saying to you, like, what's up with that guy? I was like, mm. Cause, you, had cause sixth, I, you had a sixth sense for that guy. I, I kind of did, honestly, only because I couldn't imagine a network television show casting, like, the creating a character that never says anything. I think I thought it was going to be more along the lines of like, oh, we'll teach him to loosen up and, kind oh, of, yeah. you know, like and, yeah. and enjoy the afterlife. Not that the whole thing was a ruse. <laughs> I, I for sure did not see him as like a, a ding dong from uh, Jacksonville, Florida. <laughs> Jacksonville. <laughs> Leonard Skinner High School. Yes. <laughs> it is kind of fun watching this, knowing who all of these characters are going to be. Also, because we see in this episode that um, Eleanor really finds Tahani very, very grating. And knowing the kind of relationship that they have later on is sort of interesting to see where they started. Ooh, hello, I'm a cartoon giraffe. (laughs) Well, that leads us into uh, the party that night. That's right. They go to the party and uh, Eleanor really is pretty impossible at this party. All of the guests are talking about the impossibly good things they've done. Literally impossibly good in retrospect. As we will learn, yes. <laughs> like the guy who gives both his kidneys to a stranger on the bus. Like, come on. <laughs> Eleanor gets drunk. Michael tells them that this is his first neighborhood. He says he's only been an apprentice for 200 years, which is very interesting. Because he is thousands of years old. So it really raises the question of what he was doing up to that point. But um, yeah, we certainly don't have any answers about that. Um, they kind of Chidi takes Eleanor home when she gets too drunk to function, and you know he kind of leaves her in her house, and she's just sort of being a really impossible person. And it's a little bit, it's a little bit pathetic because she's saying, you know, like I don't think anybody cared that I died. I bet people cared that you died. Um. And she tries to learn Chidi's last name, which is Anagonye, and she ends up saying Ariana Grande instead. And the next <laughs> morning, next morning, they wake up to Ariana Grande music blasting and sh- flying shrimp and giant giraffes and everybody's wearing blue and yellow stripes except for Eleanor. And Chidi and Eleanor have a tete-a-tete where he really does kind of doesn't want to help her. But she says, you know, what if you taught me to be a better person, you know? can I put my soul in your hands? And this is like, as Michael is banging down their door, Chidi has to make a de- uh, Chidi has to make a decision. Um, and he basically gets a stomachache and that's the oh, end of the episode. Stomachache. Can, so 
I know there's a lot to get into here. Yeah, yeah. But I really want to address this thing first, which is that I feel like there's a bit of an error here. Where she says this Ariana Grande thing to Chidi, and then the Ariana Grande music is part of the chaos sequence. But we don't have any indication from later episodes that they have some sort of 24-7 super invasive surveillance on them. In fact, all signs point to that not being the case. That mm. that they actually do have a modicum of privacy. So the fact that the Ariana Grande comment made it into the chaos sequence seems like a continuity error to me. There is an alternative uh, to that, I think. Okay. Uh, that you are eagle-eyed for sure. This is a real stretch, but I'm just going to put it out there. Um, Jason, as we will come to find out, in his, like, bro room that he just fills with, like, Cheetos and uh, video games and NFL Red Zone and all that, has a poster of Ariana Grande on his wall, and he says Janet helped him get all those things. So I don't think that that has happened yet. I don't think that's happened yet. I, okay. I think that he, they just arrived that day. Um, he has not had time to set up his man cave. Um, right, what does he call it? His bud hole. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> it's really messy. <laughs> yeah. He, he has not had time to set that up. This was an obvious play on what uh, Kristen Bell says, you know, at sort of in her drunken stupor, but yeah. it doesn't make any sense because in the opening episode of season two it's pretty clear to me that they have to have eyes and ears on these humans from somebody in the uh bad place squad um at all times you know when when michael has that like meeting do you remember when michael has that meeting of all the Mm -hmm. people and um sorry of all of his employees with chris from the twisting department yes and they're all sort of at sixes and sevens um you know, he he's he, he says, you know, we have to find them. Meanwhile, uh, Eleanor and Sheedy in that episode are having that sort of conversation off to the side where she has that note that she's written herself and they're trying to figure things out. So it it's pretty well established that what they do outside of the range of, you know, sight or hearing of a bad place employee is private. So where did the, 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 the to me, the Ariana Grande thing is an obvious mistake at this point. You know, I'll, I'll allow it. I'll, I'll allow them this one. G- given how much else, how many other amazing details they put in. And also, well... I mean, you can massage it, right? You can say, oh, Chidi left her house. and But he's tra- he's not going to tell anybody, like, you know, Eleanor got my yeah. name wrong because he's trying to protect her. It just doesn't make any sense. Well, so the other thing I'll posit is that She's running around, or, you know, she wakes up and she hears the music, but there is, like, thunder and everything else that's really loud. So she says to Chidi, like, do you, do you hear Ariana Grande playing? But he doesn't answer her. So that's true. So it's possible that it's, that's only in her head and everything else is happening, but... Or maybe that it's actually non-diegetic to the scene and... And it's like a fourth wall breaking, although that's very meta for this show. 
I mean, this whole show is meta, so I don't really put anything past them, but I, I, I think we Okay, can... I don't want to dwell on this. I just, it yeah. bothered me instantly the minute I was watching uh, it. I was like, ugh, I gotta get this out of my system. Well, I, I think that's, we can allow them one, uh, one break from their finely crafted universe here. From the, from the Swiss watch. <laughs> yes, yes. Can we, can we talk about, that aside, can we talk yes. about how Michael says... It's not exactly the heaven and hell you were raised on, but there is a good place and a bad place, and you're in the good place. Mm-hmm. Um, pardon me, Michael. It basically is the heaven and hell people were raised on. I mean, in what sense is it not the heaven and hell people were raised on? Um, there's no God. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. That's a good point. That's, that's, that's what I got from it. That's okay. what I got from it. Was okay. because, you know, if you're talking about at least, you know, judeo-christian religions um pretty much all religions have a god i mean not maybe not every single one but most of them the vast majority have a god at least one god yeah but like does buddhism have like a hell no i don't think so i'm showing my ignorance here you talk i'll google okay that's what i'm saying like when i say judeo-christian i mean like some the monotheistic Western, i guess yeah monotheistic religions have a god who reigns over heaven um and sort of decides who gets into heaven and who gets into hell um i did see thor ragnarok last night so i can tell you that uh the norse mythology has some weird version of <laughs> hell played by Kate blanchett but i don't think that's what we're talking about here the, the answer i'm getting on buddhism is very tenuous. That doesn't surprise me. Buddhists traditionally identify six realms in samsara, the wheel of cyclic existence driven by our belief in a fixed self. One of these, the human realm, you and I are experiencing right now. Okay. I'm not getting enough out of that to be able to say what which 5% of Buddhism is uh, concordant <laughs> with the television yeah. show we're watching. So that's, but that's all I mean. As I took it at I took it as, I don't know that there's any religion um, on earth, any Judeo-Christian religion on earth that teaches like, well, hell is... You have to stop saying Judeo-Christian. You don't mean Judeo-Christian. You mean theistic, I guess? I guess, yeah. Religion that teaches like, well, hell is, heaven is run by low-level bureaucrats. (laughs) (laughs) But it is, I mean, it is so much like the popular conception of heaven and hell that it seems pretty disingenuous to claim otherwise. I mean, that also could be... In fairness, we don't know what the real good place is like. So it's entirely possible. So it seems like the real bad place is exactly what people imagine hell to be. You know, so that seems... It seems really disingenuous to claim otherwise. But the real good place, we may we have no idea. Maybe the real good place is like a sensory deprivation chamber for all eternity or something Maybe. nuts out like that. And there, there also is a medium place, which there doesn't... I mean, unless you count uh, like purgatory from Dante's Inferno. You know, Buddhists believe in these six realms and it's possible one of them is essentially a medium place. <laughs> essentially Mindy's house. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't you love... Wouldn't you love if there's some like Buddhist scripture that's like, and then there's a house in the middle of a field where a naked lady snores cocaine all day. Um, she wishes she was snorting she cocaine wishes. all day. She wishes for cocaine. 
Yeah, I mean, I think those were the... But I agree with you, I think, fundamentally, that it's fairly close to the conception that we have about heaven and hell. Um, At least of hell, yeah. Sure, 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 sure. You're right, I think we don't know enough about the good place. And that goes sort of goes back to our conversations of, like, is the good place really good, or is there something sort of more devious going on? Also, there's no, I mean, nobody really talks about a Janet, you know, like I think. Oh, there are no scriptures about, there's no the book of Janet. (laughs) There will be one day if I have anything to say about it. But um, (laughs) I mean, I think maybe it's a little bit more reliant on, um, you know, basically Janet is like a computer mainframe. So maybe there's, it's a little bit more technological than it is um, ethereal. Mm. I mean, I think there are difference, differences. The big yeah, yeah, no, I just being God. for him, right? Yeah, for yeah, for Michael to say that you know each religion got about five percent right just felt like that's you know that's a that's just a blatantly false statement. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I think this goes back to we've had conversations about this before, where with Ted Danson's character, it's very hard to tell what of what he says before we find out the twist is like him being truthful or him just toying with the humans. Yeah, that's a good point. So it's possible that he's trying to kind of convince her of a different reality than is true. But Doug Forsett does come up again in the second season. So um, I do think he has something to do with all this still. So one thing that was really interesting to me was that the thesis statement of the show, which I am taking to be this whole system is forked yeah. where people get points based on their, you know, basically their lives get data scienced and yeah. then there's a sorting algorithm and the top 0.01% or what have you get to live in paradise and everyone else gets tortured for all eternity that that whole system is fundamentally unethical yeah because eleanor complains about it right out of the gate yeah Um, chidi says just face it you don't belong here and she's well this system sucks and she's right i mean she's right like she's saying i you know i didn't i wasn't gandhi but i didn't kill anyone yeah or what if she has that whole thing she has that whole thing where she talks about she's like She's like, I never murdered anyone. I never committed arson. I never found a wallet on the ground outside of an IHOP and then thought about returning it and then saw that the, you know, person who owned it lived out of state. So I just took the cash out of the wallet and then left the wallet on the ground. And Jeannie's like, that's very specific. It makes me think that you did actually do that. Um, But yeah, I mean, she's right that there's got to be, you know, the system is fundamentally broken if it lumps you know if it lumps eleanor in with hitler yes. and quite frankly if it lumps chidi in with hitler yes yes and interestingly like this is something that you know will will i'm hoping to get into like a little bit more later on in the season but like eleanor does have you know in this episode she's painted her life on earth is painted as like completely um like irredeemable um but we know from later on in the first season that she does have some redeemable qualities on earth um namely um she's got like a younger cousin that she sort of 
hangs out with and Eleanor just kind of shrugs it off and says like you know her mom is kind of messed up so I I try to like hang out with her and I took her to the mall and you know we would get churros or like whatever they would do and it's like a churro dog or something so, horrific it's, it's like an Arizona delicacy forget exactly what it was and we'll get into that I think more in that episode I think that's like episode sure. eight or nine um but it just sort of it makes me think about you know in this episode I was reminded of that because I mean you know she maybe wasn't the most altruistic person but she wasn't completely heartless either I think she's painted that way like almost caricature like at the beginning but then the more we find out about her you know so it, it is it does sort of make you wonder about the point system and I think we've pretty well established that you know the point system is not not a good way to adjudicate these things what's really interesting to me in retrospect is that Chidi doesn't seem to have a problem with it he kind of just yeah. accepts it at face value and is sort of like well I got in and you didn't you know like someone talking to their classmate about getting into Harvard yeah. You know, I got in and you didn't, and um, I belong here and you don't. And he's never snotty about it. He doesn't act superior, but he takes it as read that he earned his way into this place. And she yeah. is a mistake. And and he doesn't sort of ever question the the whole point system to begin with. He doesn't even say, like, I agree with you. I mean, he just says, like, apparently that's not how it works, you know? Yeah. And it seems to me that someone who is that wrapped up in ethics should have taken a moment to step back and be like, oh, yeah, no. That's really messed up. Yeah. <laughs> it's really messed up. I wonder if he sort of assumed, because, you know, when we meet him at the beginning, he says, I've spent my life searching for the fundamental truths of the universe, and maybe he thinks that pursuit was sort of noble enough to get him to this point and this was what he was sort of working for and oh i totally agree but i'm saying that even if he believes that he should still think you know it's not really ethical for people who are not monsters to be tortured for all eternity (laughs) yeah yeah and he yeah you're right he does sort of take it at face value whereas i think later on obviously we see him questioning a lot more Right. When he when he thinks that Eleanor is going to be taken away from a, a good place that he thinks he is in to the bad place, um, he gets very upset by it and he really fights to keep her. And he positions himself as like her one ally in the fight, which is great and noble. But um, I don't know that he ever really questions the whole setup before he knows that the whole thing is bogus. Yeah, that's like true. I don't remember ever hearing him say like, "Wait a minute, everybody gets tortured, <laughs> everybody else gets tortured." Especially when he learns that like all of his heroes are being tortured, right? Like the that right that's the, in the second season, right? Oh yeah, yeah, Isn't yeah. It? You're right. Remember. It is. It is. You're right. But you know, you you kind of expect him to maybe for a moment be like my parents like yeah. let's assume his parents have deceased i i don't know it's possible he predeceased them but like just to have for him to have a moment of like are my parents in the bad place are my siblings or whom whomever you know yeah. would have predeceased him my grandparents my uncles my aunts he doesn't yeah. ever seem to have a thought for any of that which is like really strange because we know chidi is a thoughtful and caring person 
It's almost like he's so excited that he made it into the good place that he's blinded to the repercussions of the system. Yeah, it's almost like he is just like, well, this is it. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to make the most of this. And, you know, it's interesting because, you know, Tahani doesn't really question it either. Even after she finds out that, you know, the whole thing was a hoax in in the in season two she petitions michael and says like this is all a mistake right like i'm not supposed to be here i'm not supposed to be in the bad place i'm supposed to be in the good place um so she believes that she deserves it um and she doesn't really ever ask about her family members either eleanor's sort of the only one who says like oh i bet my parents are in the bad place and they're torturing each other um so i wonder if it is that sort of like um relief of like oh i made it and uh I don't know, maybe that sort of blinds you temporarily to other people. Yeah. I mean, well, it's, t- not, it's t- not the t- most flattering, uh, you know... Portrayal. Portray. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I know Tahani and Chidi are, have very different personalities. Um, yeah, I mean, Tahani is so self-centered. Yeah. And I don't think she cared about her parents, you know, fundamentally. That's true. Really well, cares what sister, happens yeah. to them. Yeah, that's true. Um, so, 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 do you think that if so you know we all we have in this universe we we know later all we have is four humans and then a bunch of bad place employees plus janet Mm -hmm. uh, plus mindy um do you think that the real afterlife has more old people in it that was actually something that um that mike sure talked about in one of the interviews that uh, I sourced for a, a much later episode. They were talking about um, the fact that like pretty much everybody in the quartet is like in their early 30s, like late 20s, early 30s, and how kind of like if you step back from that, that's a little upsetting. Yes. <laughs> and so he said in season two, they're going to be looking at like, you know, the age diversity a little bit more, but I haven't. haven't I I remember them saying absolutely no children, which thank God, because I don't even want to, I don't want to think about children being automatically entered into the good place. I don't want about think. I don't want to think about children possibly being in the bad place. I don't want to think about dead children at all ever. That's (laughs) like the minimum age of anyone on the show to be 18. And (laughs) let's just keep it that way. Yeah, really. So they did say, I, I think he did say, I, I'll see if I can find it. Um, but he did say that that was something, you know, they were thinking about the age differences and like what that would possibly mean for season two. So it's possible in the back half of season two that we're going to meet some other people who are older. I was just kind of wondering if when you die in this universe, if you get to choose what you look like, you know, maybe from the whole uh, range of ways that you looked on Earth, maybe? Oh, maybe. Because then that would at least, you know, you know, if you die when you're 120, maybe you want to, you'd want you rather look like you're 40. If I died when I was 120, I'd be like, I was the oldest lady alive. Like, I would, I would, I think I would want to stick with my 120 because I'd just be so impressed that I got there. I think if you die when you're 120 and then you got sent to an afterlife, you'd be like, N- enough already. Eh. I'm really set. I'm, I'm cool. set on experiences. That's just. I'm just I gonna... have seen. I have seen three separate centuries. 
potentially. Jeez. No thanks. I'm good. You would see three, you personally would see three separate centuries if you lived to be 120. Well, let's make that a life goal, shall we? I think I, our, our family has pretty good genetics. Yeah, I personally don't have very good genetics, but you're, you're looking okay so far. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I kind of feel like if you made it to 120, you would not have um, a spinal cord anymore. I barely have one now. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like, yeah, listeners, I am uh, in my late 20s and I already have back problems. So that bodes well for the next 50 years of my life. Um, I, I think you mean next 90 years of 90 my life. 90 years. <laughs> Maybe by the time I'm 100, they'll, they'll like make bionic spines or something. I feel like we're either going to be at bionic spines or we're going to be in nuclear winter. I think those yeah, are the two or like options. Just heads floating in jelly or something like, like on the Futurama. Oh, like Futurama. <laughs> yeah, who knows? But I, I think for the ages, yeah, it, it would be interesting to kind of see. But at the same time, like, I wonder if having somebody older in the neighborhood like how they would react to everything. I don't know if it would make if the age makes a difference, you know. It shouldn't. Yeah. You think they're gonna be confounded by the gadgets? Don't you think that no. there's a certain amount of No, I don't mean that, but like I don't know if somebody who sort of passed away peacefully in their sleep in their eighties, like if they were told they were in the good place, they'd just be like, Alright, cool and then like that was it. I don't know. I uh I don't know. Uh, what else did you want to talk about? Oh yes, I had wanted to address this. You had put this in the in the summary. Um, Janet says she can't tell them what the bad place is like, but then she plays them an audio clip where people are yeah. screaming about two mouthed bears, and you say, "Knowing what we know now, is this even real?" And I think it might be because I don't see how Michael can feed Janet bad information. But they're in the bad place. But Janet doesn't know that. Yeah, I guess so. At that point, she doesn't. I just don't know how, like, where, uh, where she's sourcing that audio. That's a great from. question. And it also raises the question of why she says that's the one thing she's not allowed to tell them about. Because I imagine in the real good place that people are going to ask her things like, what happened to my mother? And Janet's going to say she's in the bad place. And someone will say, what's happening to her right now? Where is she? How is she doing? And Janet's going to say, I'm not allowed to tell you that. That's the answer. That's the answer of record when someone asks about the bad place. Like that's, well, it works. It works as a laugh line in this episode, but I don't think it works as a way that Janet is programmed in, in the logic of this universe. I'll be honest, I assumed Janet was programmed to say that's the only thing that I can't talk about with you because they're in the bad place and Michael like doesn't want her to spill the beans because she at this point in her um, evolution, you know, she's Janet 1.0 of how many, you know, 800 Janets we eventually get to. She can't tell a lie. So I can imagine Michael like overriding something to make it so that she can't talk about the bad place um, to avoid her saying like, oh, you're in the bad place right now. Right. Or whatever. 
If Michael had the ability to override things on Janet, then he would have stopped her from getting married to Jason. Did he even know about that? He didn't know about that. He eventually knew about it. And if he could have overridden and said, you know, you're not going to be married to Jason anymore, then he would have done that. I just don't think that Michael has that kind of control over Janet. So you think that's like hard-coded into her that she's not allowed to talk about the bad boy? Yeah, I do. And I think that's like really strange. Uh, But it does, but you know what's funny? Let's assume that there is no God in this universe and that everything really is run by low-level bureaucrats. Then that actually, when I think about the kind of like corporate communications that I see at work, that's exactly what they would do. (laughs) Like, Like, oh, I need to know about this unpleasant thing. Like, we've decided uh, as a corporate communication strategy that you are not allowed to know about this unpleasant thing. Uh, But I really need to know about it. You're not allowed to know. Running the sweeping this under the rug protocol. Yes. I mean, it really does strike me as highly plausible that um, if there really are just bureaucrats in search of the good place, that they decided that that's what Janet would do. That, you know, that they would have this intractable problem on their hand, that they have people in the good place who have loved ones in the bad place. And their solution to that is not to fundamentally rethink how they are sorting people. Their solution to that is to make it so Janet can't talk about it. It's very, it's very bureaucratic. Yeah, that's kind of, and that's also kind of Occam's razor, isn't it? Like, um, the Janet's just not allowed to talk about it. It's not like nefarious from Michael or any of the bad place employees. It's just like, you know, her programming says, I'm not allowed to talk about this. And she doesn't question it. Like, I wonder now if somebody asked her, well, now she knows, but I, I think, uh, Damn, what's the bad place like, uh, open your eyes and take a look. Around. Yeah, so it's all around you. There's lots of uh, frozen yogurt, um, which like, and now we know about the frozen yogurt that Janet is the one who, uh, recommended frozen yogurt for the, for this. Yeah. Yogurt. And it's so funny how Michael just so casually lies you know, he yeah. just tells her that's the one thing that's in all these neighborhoods. I don't know what to tell you. And it's like, whoa, when you when you watch that with the eyes that we have now, the you know eyes of experience, it's like, oh, that, you know, he's just instantly, easily um, lies with apparently no compunction whatsoever. Well, that's who he is, right? I mean, that's that who, is who he is. Yes, they all are. All of the, you know, Vicky is the same way, right? Just throws herself into this character with act and actually relishes it, right? Michael relishes it. They just, you know, it because they are committed to this experiment. And I think, you know, but there you, are that there are the nuggets of truth. So it's hard, you know. It is his yeah. first neighborhood. We know that now. Yeah, because doesn't he say that lies are always uh, more believable when they're closer to the truth? Like, yeah, I mean, as I said at the time, I I don't buy that, but he does say that and he so he believes it as a character we think yeah yeah so yeah i mean he's you know he just he lies to her face about a lot of things but but he is not lying about the point system right we don't that think exists. he is yeah we don't think he's lying about that yeah so it's kind of funny what they choose to like how they choose to frame all that stuff you know, he's not lying. If he's not lying about the point system, but he's lying about, you know, the frozen yogurt and how Eleanor 
was a mistake and all these different things, as we'll see later on in the season, you know, make, they make this whole, like they invent another Eleanor. Um, and it's all like a really, really elaborate ruse and props to Ted Danson for just like playing it so straight the whole time, you know? Do you think that there is symbolic significance to the fact that Michael's first bow tie is the peacock pattern? I didn't even notice that. Well, it was a lovely tie. But I'm I was sort into of, it. And I was sort of like, oh, is this like a commentary about how it's all an illusion? <laughs> because <laughs> because peacocks are all about appearance, but in reality, they're just these dumb birds who can't fly. <laughs> I might be reading too much into it. You might be, but, you know... It's a gorgeous, I mean, it's a gorgeous tie. I wouldn't put it past the costume designers and all the set decorators in a good place to to fill the world up with things that have like secret meaning for all the eagle-eyed viewers who have podcasts <laughs> and need things to talk about i think the other thing that was just interesting to me was how many things as i said earlier how many things in this episode are set up and come back later. Oh yeah. Talk about that some more. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, one of them, as we said, was, uh, Doug Forsett. Um, cause he comes back, uh, not him, but the idea of finding him comes back in the second season. Uh, and his picture is still up on Michael's wall. So presumably that happened, right? Like again, talking about what did or didn't happen or what Michael's lying about or what he's not lying about. Um, we've we've discussed before that the whole thing where Eleanor thinks that her parents are being used to torture each other is definitely foreshadowing. It's foreshadowing for the fact that that's what's happening to Eleanor. Yep, yep, yep. She the way she dies, the grocery store parking lot. We see that uh, at the end of the first season. We see the flashback of her um, buying the margarita mix, and she's like looking really disheveled, and she's sort of, you know. She said, as she says, when she's in the grocery store line, like, I'm going to live forever. And then she goes outside and has a fight with somebody and drops her margarita mix. And you just see the, um, you know, the shopping carts coming at her. So he wasn't lying about the way she died. No. So you'd think, like, that's another weird thing of, like, he's telling the truth. And then he lies to her and says he's, she's in that good place, right? So that's one. Uh, the frozen yogurt was another one. Uh, since we talked about that, um, I didn't catch this at first, but when, uh, Michael explains that soulmates are real, uh, and one of the other people in the neighborhood is your soulmate, um, Eleanor catches Jason's eye and Jason smiles at her. She mentions that later. Do you remember that? But for the five minutes that Eleanor thinks that Jason might be her soulmate, she mentions that explicitly. Yeah. Yeah. It may Uh, even show the clip in her yeah, memory maybe. or something there were a couple other things oh the the fact that she i mean this is the biggest thing but the fact that she says the system sucks and there should be a medium place for people like me there is a medium place and she says that you know when i think it's janet who tells her that there's a medium place uh she's like this is what i've been saying this whole time and yeah. it was just like a good uh reminder of like yeah she's been saying that since episode one that a medium place should exist and it actually does and Arguably, the medium place is one of the most important pieces of the whole story because that's where she and Chidi, you know, confess their love to each other. Yeah, it remains to be seen if anything's going to be, if anything's going to come of that. Yeah. Um, 
So, but it's not so medium for them. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a very different experience for them. And then also, obviously, like all of the main characters and um, the way that they're set up, and it's just it's it's very uh, it's very cool to see like all of the different puzzle pieces that you know you've got one over here and you've got a patch of them over here, and they gradually start filling in all the different pieces as the as the season goes on. And it's funny how they give you a lot of hints right from the start. But they are couched in comedy, so you yeah. don't see them as hints. You see them as jokes. Yeah. Like, you know, when um, Bamba John says he spent half his life in North Korea fighting for women's rights, and you're like, no, you, like that's not possible, right? Yeah. <laughs> there's, yeah. there's no way that you were fighting for women's rights in North Korea. You would have been executed or you know deported within you know a week of your arrival. And when you're watching it the first time, you know, with without guilty knowledge, you're kind of like, oh, this is, you know, this is exaggeration for comic effect. Same yeah. thing with the guy who says he gave two kidneys to somebody on the bus, right? Where you're like, yeah. ha, 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 These people are so cartoonishly good that, you know, they gave them just ridiculous backstories. Yeah. And then, you know, you look back on it and you're like, oh, no, 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 those were ridiculous for a reason. Because these is this is a bunch of demons, like, having fun with the notion of the human idea of goodness. Yeah. And, like, pretending they know what it is to be good, right? Right. And the same thing with Michael sort of making the crack about frozen yogurt, which, again, it's, like, seems funny. Like, I don't know what to tell you. You know, people love frozen yogurt. And you and it's like, oh, that's a, that's a funny joke. And then in retrospect, you're like, oh, no, it, no, that was a hint. You know, yeah. the fact that there's fr- that there's so much frozen yogurt. Like, why would there need to be multiple frozen yogurt stores? Like, it's actually a clue as to the real nature of the place. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's really interesting to see how all these, how they just... And Michael Schur has said that about Michael, the characters uh, reveal to, you know, that he's a demon and they're in the bad place. He said he didn't want it to be super obvious, like they, they didn't want to give away their hand, but it, that if you go back and watch uh, earlier episodes, you'll see him do things that in the moment seem like he's just sort of flustered or, um, you know, overreacting or something, but in reality, give him a way to be like a bad entity, right? Like he kicks that woman's dog into the sun. That's supposed to be the big clue of the season. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I certainly didn't see that as like, oh, he's evil. But like the the conceit was like, what's the, you know, what's a cartoonishly evil thing to do? Kicking a dog. Okay, well, he kicks the dog so hard that he kicks it into the sun. So yeah, it is sort of exaggerated for comic effect. But then you're like, oh, that actually meant something. So that's pretty cool. Michael Shore, you're a mad genius. He kind of is. Like, I, I was just going to say, I... I at the beginning of watching the series, I didn't know what I was in for, but I trusted Michael Schur because I love pretty much everything he's ever worked on. So I was like, I know I don't know what this is yet, but I think I'm in good hands. Turns out, I was right. <laughs> That's a pretty poetic place to wrap up, I think. Yeah, yeah. So, um, are we going to do an episode next week, or because it's Thanksgiving, we're going to give it a rest? Um, I am fine with doing an episode next week if you okay. are. Yeah, sure. All right, ding dongs. So, um, we'll catch you next time, and and uh, we'd love to hear what you uh, thought of the pilot when you first saw it. 
Uh, we'd love to hear about your opinion on Ariana Grande or um, <laughs> frozen yogurt or uh, lying to people that you love. <laughs> Just anything we talked about tonight. Um, and uh, all right, ding dongs. You can get at us uh, at uh, on Twitter at the Good Play Pod, or you can email us thegoodplaypod at gmail.com, Right. Oh, that's right. Yep. Can I just say one last thing? Absolutely. I was at a reception on Thursday evening, uh, and they had shrimp, like, they just had, like, you know, shrimp out for people to eat, and I thought to myself, I was like, uh, I'm coming for you, shrimpies, (laughs) because that's what (laughs) she said. It's like, I didn't say it out loud, because I was... You should have. I should have. (laughs) And then Buzz marketed the podcast to anyone whose ears pricked up. Yes. We'll see you next week with Season 1, Episode 2. All right. Bye, ding-dongs.